Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So listen, how's your Christmas shopping going? You haven't started yet, have you? Well, fear not, the big interview is here to help solve all your problems. For the football fans in your life, here's three stocking fillers. Firstly... The documentary film of my book, Barca, The Making of the Greatest Team in the World, is now available everywhere on DVD and digital download. Take the Ball, Pass the Ball is the definitive story, we like to say, of the greatest football team ever assembled and features exclusive interviews with Barca's stellar cast of current and ex-players, including that geezer, Lionel Messi, Xavi, Andres Iniesta, Thierry Henry, Dani Alves, Gerard Piquet... Carlos Puyol and Sergio Busquets, plus a rare exclusive contribution from Pep Guardiola himself. There, that's that one present sorted. Secondly, my old chum and fellow dandy Jonathan Northcroft has a new book out published by Backpage, these marvellous people that bring you the books, the podcasts. It's called Deadlines and Darts with Delhi, and it's Jonathan's World Cup diary from Russia last summer, and it's essential reading for the football fan in your life. Finally, check out another Backpage book, Football 2.0, How the World's Best Play the Modern Game by Grant Wall. Through extensive interviews with one player in every key position on and off the pitch, Grant breaks down the technical and tactical revolutions which have transformed football. So, there you have it. Take the ball, pass the ball, deadlines and darts with Delhi, Football 2.0. That's not only difficult to say, it's Christmas sorted. Courtesy of your friends at the big interview. Your ho, ho, ho. Welcome. You're about to listen to an interview which our socios enjoyed in full 12 months ago. If you'd like to listen to these exclusive monthly big interviews on the day that they're released, it's time to join us. That means supporting us. It means the price of a pint per month. Go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter. Go now, join and become a socio. That means you'll get that extra big interview every month. And you'll also unlock our entire archive straight away, all for £2.99 a month. It's the best deal in town, baby. And we need you. It's Super Kevin Phillips, Sunderland legend. I was thrilled to listen to him describe his thought process in front of goal, plus his explanation of the art of finishing, which includes a wonderful quote from the great Jimmy Greaves. Kevin also breaks down his phenomenal partnership with Niall Quinn, 
that rivalry fierce with Alan Shearer, plus the unique challenges he faced when trying to coach a certain James Vardy at Leicester. Deep breaths, Kev, deep breaths. Our guest takes us back to his younger days playing right back at non-league Baldock Town, and it's a far cry from the experiences of academy players today. Kevin gives us his firm views on that too. I have to um, ask you a little bit about, rather than just saying about you and Niall and the enjoyment that you had there, but what was the process at Sunderland? Because I think a lot of people have got the, the mental picture a little bit wrong retrospectively. It was nowhere near a long ball team. I, I think you fed well off wide. Yeah. But let's say in those glorious seasons getting promoted in that first season, seventh um, at Sunderland, when the ball is at the back, was there a team system that you kind of know you know, ball dance, and it will go from here, it will go from here. Peter and Bobby had certain rules, and yeah. everybody knew the moving parts. Or was it just like, if you give it to, to Niall and Kevin, they'll sort it out, you know? No, it wasn't. I think everyone, you know, I've got that perception of, you know, just whack it up to Quinn, he'll flick it on, and I'll run on and score. And there was many games when that did happen, but, you know, we had a lot more to our game than that. You know, we had two wings in Nicky Summerby and Alan Johnson. Nicky Summerby, for me, was one of the best crossers I've ever seen. Really? And I trained with David Beckham and played with him in England. Course, yeah. And David, you know, don't by far was the best crosser of the ball I have. But Nicky Summerby wasn't a million miles away from him. And what Nicky had the art of doing was he didn't have to take a fullback on to get the ball in the box. If you stood off him a yard, he would whip it in between the fullback or the centre half. If you cut that one off and showed him outside, he had the ability of just knocking it sideways and then whipping his foot round the back of the defence. It was just, it was for me and Quinny, it was, it was amazing to play. He very rarely really got to the byline like an old winger would and then clip it up to come in. That never really happened. It feels yeah. like that's very underappreciated. Oh, oh, well, we appreciate it. And, and for now, whenever I do, you know, that's why I talk about it. And whenever I go to Sunderland and talk about Sunderland players, I always say Nicky Summerby for me was one of the best crosses of the balls I, I've seen. And this interests me now then, who's the boss in this relationship? Do you say to him, or to Alan, Nicky, this is how and when I want it, or do they give it as they can and you learn the latter? Yeah, the latter for me. Why? Um, Because I could read his body language about when he was, you know, because we've worked together so closely, we'll have that relationship on the training ground. I can tell when he's going to deliver the ball and there's no point me going early because the way he delivers a ball, I'll end up offside. I know that he put so much whip and curl on it that I can... You can hold your run I just a little bit my and you're, you're going like, to be coming on to it. And like we said earlier, then, then my process comes in, right, how do I beat my defender? Now it is movement, get out of his eye line. So when he has a little look, then he looks back. Hopefully that ball's coming in, then bang, I'm in, I'm in behind him. Do you know when you say it like that? It's even, well, it seems simple, even, no, but even it? Listen to it. Do you know what? Not simple, it sounds sweet. Yeah, well, it's, it, you know, it's... It, when you get the works. mechanics of anything, of course, it's like why engineering's good. If you open anything up and show how it works, it looks all the more beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A colleague of yours um, from those days, Kev Coban. Yeah, chilly, yeah. He said, um, Kevin, the best finisher cutting in from the inside left channel. On the training ground, he used to be 10 from 10 from that area, outside the area. Incredible at finding the corner with precision and power. Well, I think it, you know, it's nice words from Kevin. You know, he was fantastic for us. But it was like what I said earlier, you know, my thought process about the Jimmy Greaves thing. The Jimmy Greaves, pass it into the net, pass it into the net. And, you know, I, in training, that's all I ever tried to do. I very rarely smashed it. 
And, you know, the, as I say, good practice, good habits, you take it into the game. Was Niall made for you or did you... You both said individually that you didn't actually work phenomenally hard at choreographing it, but it has to be a product of mutual intelligence. Yeah, of course. It's, you know, Niall's an intelligent guy and, you know, you, you don't go on to do what he's done unless you've got some intelligence about you. First and foremost, what a footballer he was, mm. you know, with his feet, his intelligence, his, his ability to hang in the air and look why he was in the air to see where I was and then focus on the ball game. And then it was, it was just <laughs> quite remarkable. You've just done a really good impersonation of him there. It, it and was. And it's funny it how, was, like, you, you moved your neck and it's yeah. kind of like assessing everything around. It was. And, it, you know, Peter Crouch has had the similar thing when I had, I had a season with Peter at Southampton. And he, for me, was equally as good with his feet. And in the air as well. He had that ability Wonderful to football. jump, yeah, have a look, and then where's, where's my partner? And nod it. It was just something that they were, their gift that they had. Um, so, yeah, we were made for each other, and it, was, it made it all, all the more easier for me to work off Big Noel because, you know, I, he knew where I was running and, and he was able to put the ball where I was running. Without telling tales, to what extent is it? Because that, that squad had the right good social life. Yeah. Peter Reid likes a night out. That's putting it mildly. <laughs> I was deliberately putting it quite mildly. The first time I ever met him, he was playing on the sly. He was at Everton. Somebody at Marbella, some Serbian just bought Marbella Football Club. And him and Kerry Dixon and we... Is it Terry Phelan who used to play at Wimbledon in Man City? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They came down and played as unregistered guests right. for Marbella against Crystal Palace. Right. And uh, <clears throat> we sort of tagged along a little bit my mate and I, we were in Marbella at the time, end of season, May, June, and uh, we saw the first time we saw what a proper Premier League night out was yeah, like. And yeah. Did you did you live in an area where it was quite forgiving that if the team was playing well, you can get out yeah. as a group yeah. and do the kind of things that yeah. you know that that phrase about a team that drinks together stays together, plays together, all that kind of stuff. That that's true of that era. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, we had it in abundance. Um, certainly, wouldn't recommend it now, of course. But that was an era when. You know, Peter, for me, when people say, I played under 20, 21 managers, That's all. and people say, you know, who's the best manager you've ever had? And it's quite easy to say Peter E, because that was the best time of my career, but he really was. You know, in terms of tactics and that, it, it wasn't his strongest point. That was more Bobby Saxton. He knew the game, don't get me wrong. Yeah, of course he did, But yeah. his man management skills were yeah. excellent. Which uh, you'd pay a million bucks for oh, if you can get that in any dressing room, man management. Yeah, 100%. It's more about that nowadays than ever. But then, you know, he had the art of dealing with problems, getting the best out of players and giving the lads that leeway to go and enjoy himself. But he had that command and that respect that the players wouldn't take the piss. So, and, and we respected that. But one of the biggest things were, you know, you, you can play hard, but if you don't work hard, then we've got an issue with you. So he demanded it on the training ground, he demanded it in games. And if he did that, he had no issues with you enjoying yourselves off the pitch. You know, I, I, I know what you're saying now, and I would be hypocritical if I didn't say that in the modern era. You can see why that's got to be oh, edged yeah, up. Yeah. But presumably one of the things, well, certainly one of the things that we've learned most in these interviews is that the, the, the camaraderie, some of the, one of the things you, you miss about football most is the humour and the digging. And, yeah. the, and really noising each other up or... I suppose just the laughs that you have. And yeah. you have that in the dressing room anyway because you have to be quick to survive in the pranks. But also, if you transfer that out and draw it out for another few hours in the pub, then it, it is a bonding thing. You know, like, I know this guy will be there for me because we've shared X, yeah. no? Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. It's, you know, you get to know... It's, it's famous, isn't it? You get to know people better when you have a drink. Socially, you go out, you have a drink. You relax a bit more. You, you ask 
you ask probably more personal questions when you're out than you would in the dressing room. So you ask them a bit more about their lifestyle, their, the, you know, the way they were brought up, about their parents, this and that. So you know a bit more about the player than you know more about me. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that, that helps. Mm-hmm. You know, nowadays, I see you know, one player, you can guarantee, even in our dressing room, one player probably won't even know if he's got a brother or sister. Yeah. You know, it, it's, that's just the way we, football's gone, and, and whether it's right or wrong. But then it, it was what worked for us. You know, we were comfortable doing it. Is there a thing in dressing rooms where, irrespective of just about your personality, asking things like that, you, players are worried to. There was a nice anecdote from Chris Waddle way back when he's the second most expensive player ever. He goes to Marseille and he's been told to drive in with a Brazilian every day and they can't speak each other languages and mm. gradually they just go and one of them goes, Gordon Banks, and he goes, Pelé. <laughs> and all the trip is only great, Brazilians yeah. are great. Yeah. And at six, seven months in, when Chris has become adored and he's successful one of the French guys leans over and says listen there's a dinner next week and Chris goes I've been here seven months and you've not spoken to me in English what, what? and I've been stuck yeah. why not he said I was embarrassed that yeah. thing about being embarrassed like that thing about knowing if you've got a brother or sister mm, or a yeah, personal yeah. problem yeah. in addressing them I don't think the atmosphere is they ask things like that you, you don't show any weaknesses You people are sometimes quiet because they're scared of being picked yeah, on no? Yeah. yeah definitely I was totally changed Totally changed, and, and and back then, nobody had any issues. You know, if someone, someone, you, 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 everyone knew everything about everyone. Really, and the banter sometimes it got a bit near the mark. But what I liked about that, it got dealt with in the dressing room. You know, it didn't get. Unfortunately, we live in an era now with the social media. We didn't have it then, but you know, it was dealt. Lock the door. You know, you deal with it there. You know, you just get on with it. And as soon as that door opened, the air's clear, and you crack on. You get on with it. So it's um, it's totally it's true, isn't it? But it's risky. It's it well, it is risky. Yeah, it was risky. But um, can you can it still exist exactly the same? Do you think? I I still feel there's a place for locking the dressing room door and ironing out your problems. Now I take the Darren Gibson incident last week. You know that should have been sorted out behind closed doors. Where he's had critical words to say about players, but he shared it after a couple of drinks with fans. Exactly and. You know, it's, don't get me wrong, when we were out and about then, yeah, of course fans would interact with you and you might have your little moan about so-and-so, but you knew you weren't getting recorded. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it needs to be dealt with in the dressing room and, and perhaps not, a lot, not enough of that's done mm-hmm. nowadays. And I think if it was, you know, it would probably be a better place. Um, this definitely isn't a social media thing, but I'm making a film right now of my first book with Duncan McMath. He's not okay. listening live, obviously, but he's in Barcelona. And he was in O'Neill's one night. And he, uh, in Durham, and he's a mad Tottenham fan. Okay. Now, he alleges that he made conversation with you and you were charm personified and you chatted away and he begged you to come to Tottenham. <laughs> and he reckons you told him that it had been quite close. It had, yeah. True or false? Duncan McMathis is your moment? Yes, it was. Um, I actually was on holiday in Dubai with my wife and my first daughter. And I got friendly with Justin Edinburgh, David Kerslake, and Colin Calderwood. They were in the same hotel. So they said, come over and join us for a drink. Um, so I'm chatting, you know, having a chat. And they said, oh, we'd love to see you down at Spurs. And I said, well, I said, funny enough, you know, there is a bit of rumours around that I could. They said, right, leave it with us. And John Gorman was in the hotel oh, next right. door. He was assistant manager to Glenn yeah, Oddle at the yeah. time. So they got John across. And John says, oh, right, is a bit of, he said, I'll get Glenn on. So he got Glenn on the phone. And I spoke to Glenn. And Glenn said, yeah, I'd love to have you at Tottenham. Oh, good choice. 
Um, so I said, well, you know, I'd, all my family were Tottenham and I was Arsenal. Uh, <laughs> my dad was a massive Tottenham fan. I and, didn't and know that. Yeah, they're all huge Tottenham. My, my uncles now are all Tottenham, they still go. So we had, a, we had a conversation on the phone. I said, yeah, you know, it's, it would be like a dream come true to go and play for a, a club, you know, where my dad supported him. Yeah, very emotional, actually. Mom. I said, yeah, I'd love it. And he said, well, you know, leave it to me and we'll come back to you. Unfortunately, I had to go for... When I came back off my holiday, I was going in for a hernia operation. And Glenn got wind of that because he'd made some, some phone calls. And he rang me back and he said, I understand you've got to have a hernia operation. I went, yeah. He said, well, I've spoken to Daniel Levy. And he said he ain't going to pay what we probably need to pay for you. And I think I was 28 or 29 at the time. He said, for someone at your age who needs a hernia operation. Because hernias back then weren't what they're like now. Things have changed. Things days. have changed, yeah. So Glenn said to me, listen, he says, I know someone in the south of France that can cure your hernia without an operation. Because Glenn was very much into yes, the faith know, yeah. He said, we'd like to send you that. I said, well, Glenn, I can't. This I isn't the water therapy, is I don't, it? I, I, I don't know. He just said, I, we know people that can I, cure. I think I know. I think Tony Adams went yeah, there so Yeah, well. so I said, Glenn, I said, it's all well and good. I said, but I'm a Sunderland player. I can't sod off to the south of France and, and have my hernia cured <laughs> by another club. Beyond. I said, it just, I said, if we're going to no. do it, let's do the right process. Yeah. He said, OK, we'll come back. And eventually, because of my hernia, it, 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 it stopped me going from, from Tottenham, which would have been great. But, you know, on the flip side of that, I had a wonderful time at, at Sunderland. And in hindsight, yeah, it would have been lovely to play for Tottenham, but my six years there, I couldn't swap it for anything. As soon as you mentioned Glenn, he's indelibly associated with the England job. If I try and pull two themes together and say to you the word Wembley, whether club or country, if, if Wembley starts the adrenaline and the synapses going, what does Wembley mean to you if you roll it all up into yeah. a ball? Because you've had... A full mix of experiences. Yeah. It means um, growing... Oh, I remember watching the FA Cup, as you would have done as a youngster, watching the team bus from 12 o'clock travel, the helicopters above going to Wembley. Um, it got my juices flowing when I was a young kid. Wembley way. The, the finals, watching the finals. I managed to go to a Milk Cup final when I was very young. I can't remember. I think it would have been Arsenal against maybe Liverpool. Charlie Nicholas scoring. Yeah, that was it. I think it was Charlie uh, Nicholas I don't remember an awful lot about the game because I was young, but I did that, you know, when I first went... And then, believe it or not, my sister played a fair bit of football for Hemel Hempstead Ladies. And she managed to get to a cup final, which was played at Wembley. And thankfully she's never teased you about it. Well, right? you know, I, I, I didn't want to go to the game because I was <laughs> gutted that she played at Wembley before me. And she's, she's never let me forget it. Uh, but I went along and watched. And Please I, can we name your sister? Just out of Karen, yeah, Karen. Karen she's, good uh, job. Did, 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 did they win? Oh, God, I can't remember. Let's say yes. Uh, yeah, let's, let's say, say yes. Yeah, don't want to spoil Go on, Hemel. But I just remember a game when I went to Highbury about going up the steps, the Milk Cup final, and then you come up and you see Wembley, the green turf, the crowd. It was just, I just said, I want to play. And this I is Twin Towers Wembley, yeah, of course. Twin Towers, yeah, the Wembley. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I want to play her at some stage. And I was gutted. This is, I was delighted for her, don't get me wrong, but I was gutted that she'd played there before <laughs> me. And, uh, you know, I couldn't wait to get my opportunity to come play there. But then it, it has to bring in the, the feelings. Of, the first time I ever saw you, we, we wouldn't call it Met, but I, I, I remember speaking to you. I remember being, again, like I say, I'm, a, you know, I'm soppy about people's stories in football. I remember in Burnham Beaches... You've been called up for England. That was where the get-together was. I'm not sure it's where the hotel was, or was it? Yeah, Burnham Beaches, yeah, we stayed okay. there. And we, we go there to the, um, 
to the get-together and it was a nice place and there was a bridge club that we used to listen to all the press conferences really nearby. And you were there and you, you shouldn't be floating on a cloud of happiness. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd had a, you know, an incident personally with, with your daughter who was well again but there'd been a little fright. You were picked by your country. I'm pretty sure you'd just come up from the championship. It was, it was the championship yeah. year, the first division year. Yeah, it's when we got promoted, yes. Sunderland player in there as yeah. well with Mickey Gray. Mickey Gray also yeah. in there. Yeah. So two of you yeah. in there. And I just remember this kind of... You were just beaming. Wow. Because it, it was a dream come true. It was a dream come true. Um, you know, I was like any other kid growing up in the street. You know, everyone, when you scored a goal, and I remember scoring a goal just against the fence at the back of my house. As soon as I'd scored, I'd go, Gary Lineker, and run off with me hand in the air. Grew up watching, you know, the World Cup where Lineker scores his hat-trick. I remember being allowed to stay up to watch it, laying on the... On the carpet with my hands, in my head in my hands, watching the TV. Against Poland, this yeah, year. against they've got Poland, a, yeah, they've got a, yeah, got a window through. That's it, yeah. So, you know, it was. It, it, I just want. I wanted to play for England. First and foremost, I wanted to be a professional footballer. Secondly, I wanted to represent my country, and you know, luckily, I've been able to do both. But you're right. You know, if I hadn't have been floating on air down there, there would have been something wrong with me. So, <laughs> you know, when I did get that phone call, me and Mickey to say we've been picked, it was just. It was incredible, and, and my actual getting picked for England was caught on camera because I was doing a, um, I was doing like a, a camera shoot stroke. Sky were following me for Deodora down on the beachfront at Sunderland. All right. And before I left to go and do it, Reedy said, "Keep your phone on because there might be a shout of you being in the England squad." And I'm like, "Yeah, no chance." <sighs> so while we're doing the interview and the photo shoot, my phone rings. And I said to the guys, listen, I've got to answer this. I said, because it's the gaffer. And they said, yeah, no problem. And they actually f- was filming. They just kept the cameras rolling. Kev, it's really, you've been picked for England. Well done, absolute delight for you and Mickey. And I, I was just like, I was stunned. I couldn't believe it. You know, the goosebumps had come down me. I was nervous, I was shaking. Um, and I couldn't wait to get home, tell my wife and ring my family. And it was a, it was a surreal moment to say, I've actually been picked for my country. One country, two, I'm still a championship player. And me and Mickey, I think, were the first two to be picked for England out of the championship. So it, it was amazing. And it's Keegan, who presumably you haven't seen so much of as a kid. Because no. You, yeah, not, not, not an awful lot. Obviously, know a lot but about I, him. I, when it happened at the time, because Kevin had been brought in and as a Scot, um, now, certainly not anti-English, but as a youngster when you're brought up, particularly if England are winning all the time. These weren't particularly popular on my side of the border. Yeah, no. And Kevin would torture us all the time. <laughs> so until you meet him and see his charms, he was difficult to admire as a Scot. But as you meet him and you hear the passion, and then when you see, you see his achievements, because he yeah. was an exciting footballer, powerful yeah. footballer, I immediately wondered if he'd seen something of himself in you. Did you see anything like that in him, or did he see anything like that in you? Yeah, he did, and I think there's been a couple of quotes, you know, f- from what he said and from what I've read, that he did see, you know, a bit of himself in me, which was a great compliment for me. You're right, you know, he, he was he was fantastic to me, absolutely brilliant, not just to me but to Mickey. But the advice and the the one-on-one stuff that he give us in terms of staying after training, we're finishing. Staying behind with Shearer, Owen, Fowler, you know, just learning off of these guys and then Kevin giving us a little bit of tuition, talking to us. 
he, he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I can't speak highly enough of him, you know, giving him my opportunity to play for and my hungry, country. And hungry, didn't he? You start in Hungary. Yeah, hungry. So, Went yeah, you know, it was, we met at Burnham Beaches, then we travelled out to Hungary. And, you know, part of me wish it would have been at Wembley, mm. you know, my, my debut. But to pull on that, that free line shirt away at Hungary alongside Alan and many other good players was, was a dream come true. Well, what's the story with Alan? Because you think you're much more practical than me. But that kismet, that fate of... He's just a little bit older and ahead of you at Southampton and famously, yeah. as apprentices Clean should boots, do, yeah. you're given tasks, which now doesn't exist. Yeah. And I need to ask yeah. you about that. But yeah. he's, it's, you know, he's one of the sets of boots you're cleaning. Yeah. You've done him at Newcastle and the Sunderland Newcastle thing. If you're going to be an England striker, you've either got to partner him or beat him. <laughs> what, what do you get on? Did he help? Was he a rival who spurred you yeah. on because he was in I your way? I anticipated a little bit of rivalry amongst us when, when we met up within the England squad and you know he, he did what he had to do within the camp um, you know he, he, he helped us but part of me probably felt he could have helped us a little bit more from being I honest. would say from my point of view yeah. from having met him and watched him I think he's a very remorseless very yeah. tough guy and I say that because I think it's accurate not because it's a criticism it's what's made him successful well he was you know i think he's as all top players i think they've got that selfishness about them perhaps it's about me more than the team a little bit i mean i remember we partnered each other against belgium at the stadium of light and obviously there was a lot made because it was at the stadium of light of myself and frank lampard with a debut yeah that was his debut, debut. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. his debut oh, God, you make me feel old now <laughs> yeah. Listen, how do you think I oh, feel? No, no. And, and I also noticed that whenever you talked about defender slow in the turn, you looked up at me. That's <laughs> how, how we're feeling at this stage is yeah. not part of the equation. But um, yeah, we, we Kevin started me in that game, and I played alongside Alan. And I think there was a part of Alan because it was at the stadium a lot, and it was majority Sunderland supporters. I just felt within the game there were times he probably could have passed to me, and he looked somewhere else. Now he might totally disagree with that, but. You know, I'm only saying from what I felt. Uh, but he scored a wonderful goal that, that game. I think it was sort of like an overhead he, kick, wasn't he it? He tended to score. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, he, he, there's no doubt and he's the Because best. We're, all we're saying, I, I just found it interesting that he's not always been in the way, but I like what football does. Football weaves yeah. these stories where, where characters come across each other yeah, all the time. Yeah. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you got to Wembley as well, I don't want to let go. And nor do I want to let go of apprenticeship. So we'll wind down now, Kevin, because you said that you had time for us. But I've talked your hind legs off. No, it's fine. I've when, enjoyed it. When I was 
being taught the most I've probably learned as a journalist, it was probably in the four years that Guardiola was at Barcelona because I was, we were given access and the, the players would talk. And also, it was a fierce, hot environment. If you didn't learn something there as a journalist, then yeah. you shouldn't have been in the game. So I watched him closely and I watched him at the end of last season because people have high expectations of him at City. And I tried to see if I can understand, because I'm not living in the same city as him anymore, so I try to understand a lot from the long chunks of press conferences you get that are unedited. And he doesn't always like answering the questions that he's given in any country. He likes to talk about pure football. And I thought he was really revealing in May when he said, he was asked about which academy players were going to break through. Because this, there's this desire that if you've got Guardiola, there'll be a magic wand, that there'll be, yeah. there'll be a Xavi or an Iniesta or a Messi coming through, even though their development was nothing to do with him. Right. Their coronation was to do with him yeah. once he inherited yeah, yeah. them as a coach. Yeah, yeah. And he said really clearly, he said they're, they're, uncom- they're talented, but they're uncompetitive. Right. Because the, the league that they're in, he said there's no crowd, it doesn't matter if they win or lose, yeah. their talent lies there. But they're not the gap between what they are and what they need to be to be in my first team is too big. So he's yeah. he's criticising that equivalent of the apprentice system. Mm-hmm. Now we talked at huge length about this with Damien Duff and about how he was treated at, at Blackburn and how brutally tough it was. And we were mm-hmm. quoting what Gary Neville and Phil Neville had said about life as the class of '92 at Manchester United, which is famously tough. Mm-hmm. Have we got? Things wrong, you know, if I go back to you cleaning boots at Southampton and being told I'm presumably to clean the terraces, mm. clean the showers, I don't know what else, possibly being bullied, certainly Damien was hard on the... That happened to me under Dave Merriton as an apprentice, and you're right, you know, at times you didn't say anything, but it stood you in good stead, well, it certainly stood me in good stead for, for where I am now, and you're right, you couldn't get away with the sort of stuff that the coaches did then, and I mean in terms of the way they spoke to you, mm-hmm. what they made you do in terms of cleaning you know I remember we'd at the end of the day big Dave Merriton strapping six foot three Geordie powerful intimidating guy would run his finger across the top of a, a doorway which I couldn't even reach on a pair of step ladders and he'd get a bit of dust and if he saw dust he'd go he'd make everyone strip back onto their kit out onto the running track and run and at the time you'd be like oh, God, well it's just a bit but it was it was standards setting standards so you're right, we've, we've feared away from that. The, the, the thing that we're not allowed to clean boots now, for me, is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's a part of growing up. Is, um, it, is, it, is it banned now? You can't ask them to do it? Or it's just not the done thing? It's not the yeah. done thing, yeah. It's yeah. not the done thing. It, you know, I have my own views on, on the academy system in terms of, you know, they start so young now. I think they start under six, mm. certainly start here at under six. Mm. But in terms of... You know, the apprentices or stroke these scholars now, first team, first year pros. Why couldn't we send them out into a warehouse for two weeks? Mm. Why not? Real life. Real life. I had to. I worked in a warehouse for 12 hours a day when I was in non-league. And it it made me see life from the other side. And it makes you appreciate what you've got there and then. Yeah. So why why can't we send our 18-year-old into a warehouse and get him up at six in the morning put him on a 12-hour shift, get him home at 6 at night, and then go and make him train on the Tuesday night for two hours. Get him doing that. Now, I'm not saying that would cure any of our problems, but it would certainly make a grounding of our young pros appreciate what they've got. Because we're both talking about the system, but you just finished on young pros. As much as we'll criticise the young pros who are milksops or who waste their money or don't appreciate their chance or flash cars, 
how do they actually know any better unless they've got parents to teach them or that kind of experience to show them? You're not born savvy. And if you never give them that experience, then how are they supposed to be a little bit more appreciative of of their privileges? You know, I think we're doing them a disservice. And also, you know, and, and I work here at a fantastic football club and you... You know, if you've got to walk around the facilities here, they get given that from like under six. And if they're good enough and they come through the whole system, they know nothing different from yeah. training on deso pitches, jacuzzi, swimming pools. You know, is that giving them the right kind of grounding? Now, you know, that's not anybody's, that's not Derby's fault, that's not the kids' fault, but. No, in an ideal system? world, no. it's right. I mean, yeah. you're, you're saying to them, we value you, of course, we're going to yeah. take the best care of you. But the, 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 if there's supposed to be a yin and yang in life, we, we haven't given them the other part, exactly, have we? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then, the, for me, there needs to be a part of that. You know, a, another one of my, my theories or crazy theories is in terms of when these young lads do get rewarded with these massive contracts, why can't we have a system in place? Now, I understand it would take every chairman of every football club to, to agree to it. You know, up to 21, if you're on 60 grand a week at 20-year-old, why can't you only give them... 20 grand a week and put 40 into a trust till they're 21, till they're 22. Now, I know where the issues lie with that. You know, if I'm signing for A and they say, well, if you're going to do that, team B is going to give us all that 60 we'll lump it all on straight you. away. So yeah. we're going to go there. So it would take the whole league of chairmen, et cetera, et cetera, to all agree to that. And if we could put something like that in a place, you know, if a kid can't live on 20 grand a week... A twenty-year-old, something's a wee bit wrong. Something wrong, you know. So why give them that sixty grand? We create our own problems, but unfortunately, that's the way we are. Is there a debate going on? Can can we try and wrestle this back via the PFA, the Premier League? Well, you know, know. I've I've said it for for ages. You know, whenever I get asked, we get asked. People always say, you know, what's the problem? Why are we not producing young players? Why are we not? Why is England not going on to do this and that? You know, it stems from a young age. You know, if we can put things in in place to try and help these young players moving forward, then surely we've got to look at that. Well, now let me ask you, as we close, about um, the, the Leicester stage. Um, because you, you were there when you chose to stop. And I am not hugely surprised that you still have that lingering feeling that if I really put my mind to it, I could probably still play professional football. And I think, to be honest with you, that I trust that instinct. Mm. But it's there that you say stop. And I think it's good in many ways in that that must have been blinding to take them up one, and then I mean I live in Barcelona, so I could only watch as a witness from a distance. Staying up mm. in that first season, oh, yeah. it was kind of miraculous. What, what has Leicester been for you in that season of coming up and staying up? What, what were the things, the incidents, the turning points, mm. the happy memories, the things you did that, that made a difference in that sort of two-season period before you started coaching? Yeah, well, it, it, it was, you know, my time at Leicester was, was a massive roller coaster. It, was, it set me on my path to my coaching career to, today in terms of Nigel Pearson offering me a coaching role at the end of the season that we got promoted. I made the decision to, to retire at the end of that season. I felt that it was the right time in terms of because I'd been offered a coaching role. In actual fact, Nigel wanted me to be a player coach. He said, I have no problems. If you want to carry on playing, I'll give you another year in the Premier League. And in hindsight now, I wish I had have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only reason I didn't do it was because I didn't want to do another pre-season. <laughs> but I ended up doing the pre-season anyway because I had to make numbers up. So, um, you know, I thought, yeah, at some point I've got to bring my career to an end. And I thought it was the perfect opportunity. Promotion, 
walking into a coaching job in the Premier League. So that we report back that season and everyone's on a high, you know, the, the, the mentality is, you know, we want to go and put ourselves against the best players in, in the world. So we don't get off to the best start, you know, and I think we spent hours, us, me, Nigel, Craig Shakespeare, Steve Walsh, uh, Mike Stowell, the coaching staff, trying to pick a system, pick a team week in and week out to try and beat the team that we were playing on the Saturday. And I felt that we probably lost focus of what got us promoted the season before. The system with Vardy, Nugent up front, Drinkwater, James, Schlupp, um, Mares, you know, almost the same team. Not a million miles that went on to win the Premier League. Very close. Um, So I think we tried to pick a team to try and beat a Premier League team instead of probably saying, look, this is what got us promoted. Let's work on making ourselves even better with that system. Let them cope with us. Yeah, and let them cope with us. So I think that's probably where we got it wrong. And it came a point where I think a lot of people had given up on us. It was tough. You know, when you're bottom of the Premier League and you're getting beat week in and week out, being in and around the training ground is awful. I've been relegated from the Premier League as a player three times, so I know exactly what it's like to be in a dressing room when things ain't going right. Mm. You know, just being around the area, it was very down... You know, confidence was it's, very It's low. contagious, that, isn't it? Oh, it's massive. It's massive. Not just within the club, but the whole city. Yeah. Wherever you go. You, you know, yeah, exactly. Right exactly. So, you know, something had to happen. We had to try and come up with a solution, come up with a system. And we, we, I won't say we stumbled across it, but we just, in the end, we went with the five at the back, really. We went with so the three, three four. Two, two, yeah, two, yeah, two, wing two wingbacks. Yeah. And we went for the Jeff's look as a left wing back and Mark Albrighton as a right wing back. Now Mark Albrighton predominantly as a winger. Yeah. But his work rate and his energy allowed him to get up and down the pitch same as Jeff Schlupp. And we had Vasileski, Morgan and Hoof as our three centre halves who were big, you know, strapping lads. And we thought, right, we've got to have a go. We want to get two strikers on the pitch because we need to score goals. So we had Vardy and Nugent. And we just it just happened. It just clicked. Played a game, we win, we started winning, and all of a sudden, people are going, hold on a minute, <laughs> Leicester are starting to win football matches, they may have an opportunity here of, of staying up. And it was just, it was incredible. The atmosphere just turned round like that. Although we were still, you know, rooted to the bottom of the Premier League, we started winning football matches, and all of a sudden, you could sense within the dressing room and the training ground that we've got a chance here. If we can keep these lads fit, and we can work with them day in and day out and get them better, we'll have an opportunity of staying up. And when it came to the point where we had to, funny enough, go to Sunderland to get a point to stay in the Premier League, it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. And I think we still had two games left after that. We got there, we get a point, and we survived. And for me, it's better than Brian Robson with West Brom the year they did it, because we were at the bottom of the Premier League pretty much. It, it from, shouldn't have been possible. Yeah, from day one. And it was, it was just incredible. The adrenaline must have been fantastic. And then the things that we talked about at Sunderland... That feeling of bonding, yeah. that like, thou shalt not pass, we're in this together. That, that's the kind of thing that if you could bottle, you could yeah. sell, you could, you'd be a billionaire. Oh, 100%. And for me, that is the re- one of the reasons why Leicester won the Premier League. And, mm. I, and I know for a fact, because I went down there many times and I spoke to a lot of them, they, they managed themselves in that dressing room. Although Ranieri did his bit and Craig Shakespeare in the background did an awful lot, ultimately those players got hold of each other. They would lock the door, because I was there for the first two months, there was times when they would lock the door and have it out amongst themselves. Lock it out, they'd come out, we'd be waiting, you know, set up on the training pitch. How'd it go? Yeah, it went well, and that was it. We didn't ask anything else. 
And you could tell that their team spirit, their togetherness, carried on from the season before. I'm an ambassador for the Dorothy Goodman School where they take handicapped kids and give them, they aim high, they give them aspirations, they teach them, mm. they show them what they can still achieve and everybody there is mad on Leicester. And Liam DC, who's so involved in um, fundraising there, asked me to ask you, because he adores you, Liam, I can say that out loud, can't I? Ask Kevin about the Zimmer celebration at Bournemouth. <laughs> Kevin made such a huge difference that champion season. One of those true professionals had so much time for fans. When he talked to the young kids, they listened intently, despite probably not knowing previously what he'd achieved. So, the Zimmer celebration? I, I don't yeah. remember seeing it. Yeah, well, it was, uh, you know, as you, as you get a bit older, what was I, was 40 at the time. Um, and you get a little bit, you can hear people in the crowds, you know, when you're warming up, oh, Phillips, you old git, you, should be, you shouldn't be playing them or you're too old. And, and I used to love all that. You, you know, the banter's brilliant, you yeah, know, it's yeah, great. Yeah. And it, I would always hopefully let, you know, coming on a pitch and scoring a goal do the talking. As I said earlier, you know, action for me speaks louder than words. So, you know, I come on at Bournemouth, we're drawing the game. I think it was either nil-nil or 1-1. And Nigel said, get yourself on and get a goal. And I, I was like, what? Yeah, it's just as simple as that. Yeah, I'll just go on and get a goal. Um, and I'd done it, you know, late on in my career, I spent a lot of time on the bench and coming on and scoring. And, I, and quite often I'd come on and get an important goal. And... I went on and I get a ball crossed in from Anthony Knockart from the right-hand side. And again, you know, being in the right place, as soon as it left its foot, I'm in the right position. I just thought, just get it on target. Try and get it on target. And I've edited it. It's keeper scrambling across. And it was one of those, was it over the line? Was it not over the line? Bournemouth players are saying it wasn't. I could see it clearly was, but the linesman was that side. And he had a lot of bodies and thankfully he gave the goal. So our supporters, you know, down at Bournemouth, as you come out, are in the far corner. And I've sprinted over and skid on my lads on me. And as I've got up, I've given it the old Zimmer frame, one back to the... back to, the, And they loved it, they absolutely loved it. And, you know, it, things went a bit mental after that because of what I did. I just thought, well, I didn't think about doing it. It was just a spare of the moment. So it was... Um, it was great. It's, it's good, I like that. Now, this is the unmissable one because you have helped a maverick in Jamie Vardy. Now... Without betraying my sources, I've spoken to people who know him well and who've helped select him, um, who say that possibly he's a guy who needs blinkers and maybe doesn't feed on strategy and information and tactics. But undoubtedly, through playing with you and then being coached by you, I'd have to say that the difference between him as a championship player and then as a Premier League winning player, you, you can notice that there's been an evolution. Just give us a word picture of the Mustang, the wild Mustang known as Jamie Vardy. Difficult. <laughs> he can That's be a very, very difficult at times. Lunatic, enthusiastic. Yeah. Um, he was. A, he's a good lad. Real difficulty now. Is is it about rawness of personality and he kind of sees everything as black or white and and I'm not listening. Yeah. That, that was one of the biggest things for me um, when, when, you know, when I, I played, obviously, with Jamie. But as soon as I stepped onto that coaching side, you know, one of the biggest things I always and I found difficult just for my own personal coaching career mm. was, you know, when I'm, I know when I'm talking to someone, whether they're listening or not. Mm -hmm. And at times I thought, are you listening, Jamie, or not? Are you listening? But I think he gives that perception of, no, because he won't look at you, he'll be looking at... You know, he's quite hyperactive. He's very yeah. hyper. So he'd be looking at, yeah, 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 as if... I used to beat myself up thinking, he's not listening to me. But 
over time, because I used to talk to him about the Jimmy Greaves, because yeah. he was very much crash, bang, wallop, smashed everything. And then trainer used to say, Jamie, you've got to try and pass it in the net, pass it in the net. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think over time, it took such a long time, for, I think, for it to register. Now, I, I might be wrong, but I just, when I started watching his finishing in the, in the Premier League campaign, you know, the goals he scored where he started bending them in, if he got one-on-one, -on -one, he wouldn't smash it down the middle, he would just slot it past the keeper. Now, whether that's the information that I try to give him, that we all try to give him, I think he's, he's not as daft as you see him. He's, he's not stupid. I think he actually took on board what we were trying to do. But he, he takes it on board in a different way. Two things come out of that from my point of view, and again, smack it down if it's, it's rubbish, that every process of educating is a two-way thing. So in having a difficult or difficult-ish pupil, he's taught you as a teacher, because you're about to assess... Am I saying the right things? Is he not listening? Is any of this going in? Mm. And as soon as you reflect on any process of communication, you're presumably getting more aware, you're getting better. Yeah. So presumably that process has had a, an effect on you as a teacher. Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's been, like you say, a two-way thing. But I think also what, what's helped Jamie as well, as well as, you know, Nugent, Ujoa, Okazaki, is, you know, I played with these guys for a few months as well. And I used to join in quite a lot in training. So not only are they learning from us having a discussion, they're also visually watching what I'm doing. Because I've only recently retired, so I've still got them instincts of what I'm doing finishing. And I'd quite often join in the training, and the lads would be like, give us a clap because I've done something well. So I think they were actually, I think Jamie Nuge and, and Joa and Okazaki were learning visually as well as learning. Yeah, yeah I get that. You know, I get that. Talking to each other. So um, I think that's kind of I think that kind of helped him as well. And one of the messages would be that you 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 can expect as a teacher as a coach, I use that word no not pejoratively. I think coaches are teachers that learning won't be instant. Oh yeah. That it's an investment, mm. and that the frustration you feel about maybe somebody's manner or when you see them not applying what you've taught them instantly, that may not mean that it's not working. Yeah. Patience is massive. It is. It is, and that's one of the biggest things I've learned in my coaching career. I used to, I used to get angry when I first started. Craig Shakespeare was brilliant to me. He said, "Listen, you've got your mannerisms. You're a calm guy. He said, don't let it affect you, your coaching." He said, "Because I can see it when I'm watching you. You're getting frustrated because what you're trying to tell them, they're not doing." He said, "But you've got to be patient. And if it's still not working, what you have to do, the good coaches work out another way." of trying to get them to learn. Now, whether mm. that's me, I'm still able to demo something. So I'm able to show them exactly what to do, where some coaches, you know, perhaps not physically able to do it. He said, find other ways of trying to get the best out of them. He said, but don't get frustrated. Have patience with them. Well, look, it's about that time of day now where I need to thank you for showing so much patience to us. This has been every bit as enjoyable and fulfilling as everybody told us it would be. We'd watched you and the reason we asked to speak to you was that you'd given us an awful lot of enjoyment. And I think a lot of people don't talk about enjoyment as part yeah. of the process of what each of us does. Yeah. So thanks for an enormous amount of uh, enjoyment during your career and, and just for stopping and spending so much time talking right. to us today. It's just an absolute pleasure and I have to say it's an honour to sit here talking to yourself, listen to you Something's many times. On. That's, that's not right. Now that no, can't it be is, right. honestly, listening to you talk about football and the passion that you have on talk sport, I listen to that an awful lot when you come on with Alan. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. It's been an enjoyable day. And this, then, has been the big interview with Kevin Phillips.
Thank you for joining us for season 2018-19. We've got huge creative plans for the months ahead, but we do need your help to make them happen. Please go right now to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and become a socio, become a paying member and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. Last season, socios listened to nine exclusive big interviews including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Deeney, Roberto Di Matteo and loads of me talking about football. The Premier League, the Champions League, Spanish football. I'm sure they enjoyed it and you will too. Support us, join us. Thank you. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.